This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone. And thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a mini seminar which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We're brought to you by Lawyers Pacific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, things general counsel, basically the, uh, the area that we're going to be going into will have a guide who is extremely experienced in all aspects of being general counsel, of mediating as a mediator with general counsel, and uh, can give you and will give you some uh, some very good insights as to what to do when we are dealing with mediation involving general counsel. Uh, Mark Lahaki is a mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services who previously served as general counsel to Dreyer's Grand Ice Cream, Inc. and Ross Scores, Inc. prior to his general counsel days. Uh, Mark spent 20 years litigating commercial, IP, antitrust, class action, and other disputes for clients ranging from small businesses to Fortune 100 companies. Mark began mediating over 20 years ago and has been repeatedly named a best lawyer in America for mediation and was recently voted 2022 mediator of the year for the San Francisco area through U.S. News best lawyers rating system. Um, Mark also teaches at UC Berkeley's law school on the intersection of law, risk management, and effective decision-making and I believe Mark's course is entitled Being General Counsel, which uh, is a good lead into what I think Mark uh, will will be able to talk to us about today. Mark, thank you for coming on Masters of Dispute Resolution and welcome. Well, Lynn, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to join you. I've been listening to your podcast and you do a tremendous service by getting insights from so many experienced neutrals. And it's great to be part of this group. I also wanna thank ADR Services and your other sponsors for supporting the effort. I will tell you, you mentioned the course at Berkeley Law called Being General Counsel. I've had more than one friend try to compare that to being there and asking me if I'm the Peter Sellers character in that matter, <clears throat> but, uh, but no. But it's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, Mark. Wait, once you mention Peter Sellers, you have to you have to picture that in my younger days when I had a mustache. Very often, pe- people would say that. And as a matter of fact, 
Um, I, I've been known from time to time to go into a Peter Sellers uh, uh, imitation. I will not do that today. Um, and um, I've, I've kind of retired that. So, uh, so thank you. Um, Mark, to start out, uh, you've had a varied background uh, for not only for your mediation and arbitration work, but you were general counsel and uh, and and acting in that role, uh, obviously have acquired a, a great deal of knowledge. But how did you decide to go from general counsel to being a, a, a neutral? Well, great question. So I, I have to admit, I, I think I disappointed somebody who was doing a profile on me a few years ago when I was trying to explain that uh, most of my decisions seem to be forward in, in response to invitation. So actually, back in my mediation days, late 90s, uh, Wayne Brazil, a retired U.S. magistrate judge, reached out to me and asked me if I would consider doing some volunteer work for the federal court, helping them to settle cases. And I did that, being trying to you know, do a good pro bono thing. Uh, and then when I started my general counsel work, I also continued on a part-time basis to volunteer some time. And although I'd already used mediation extensively, representing plaintiffs and representing defendants by then, it was truly an eye-opening experience to see what it's like to actually be in that middle role. I found it was, uh, it really helped me think differently about disputes. It helped me think differently to help, to help my companies um, consider disputes. And after 12 years or so in my general counsel world, I thought it was time to just focus primarily on the ADR world. And that's how I progressed through that. Um, I will also just say as a one observation, the worlds of GCs have a lot of similarities to the roles of mediators. Um, and uh, one of my big takeaways uh, has just been that, that when you're in a general counsel role, you are dealing with multiple constituents all the time. It may be your executive team, it may be the CEO, maybe boards of directors, it could be outside shareholders. Sometimes it's with your own outside advisors, counsel and the like. But what was really striking is I think the best work you do as a general counsel is like a mediator in that you're helping people to make good decisions rather than asserting authority any more than you have to. And of course, there are situations where if you're the senior legal executive, you can say, you have to listen to me. But I always found the best decisions and the most well-accepted decisions were when you can convince your audience this makes sense for everybody well you know when you talk about constituencies um one of the things that uh, you provided me in in uh, in in our earlier discussions was uh an article that you wrote in the advocate magazine i believe in 2017 and you were talking about uh essentially the kinds of constituencies that you had to deal with because what you were dealing with as a as a general counsel was to try to uh, try to make some sense of of how you were going to approach uh, mediation, how you were going to approach litigation. Can, can you comment on that? Thank you. Sure. Uh, well, I'll take it back a bit. I, I, I was struck starting many, many years ago, starting to do the mediation work. 
as a volunteer by being in rooms with very smart people, but sometimes having a cognitive disconnect between how I was looking at the matter and how the various parties did. And sometimes I was just struggling with what are they seeing differently? And I eventually started tracking any of those matters that didn't settle with my help right then and there to see if I was misdiagnosing in terms of watching what happened down the road. Uh, and, and actually most of the time when I tracked those cases, what I thought was gonna happen did happen, but it didn't answer my question, why were people seeing things so differently at the time? And that actually forced me down, or I chose to go down the path of really trying to do a little more understanding about behavioral science information. And just the, the tendency we all have, lawyers, non-lawyers, human beings of every type, to sometimes filter information, see things differently. And in particular, in the, in the context of having decision-making groups inside a company, uh, what sometimes I refer to as the hermetically sealed room, where everybody's in the room agreeing with each other and sort of naysayers are sometimes discarded or contrary points of view are discarded. And that is a real thing. And I'd uh, love to talk more about how you address that as you do both the GC work and helping them as outside counsel. Well, Mark, let's let's get uh, let's take a break at this point, and we will get back to that as, as soon as we come back from the break. You're listening to Masters of Dispute Resolution. Our guest is Mark Lahaki, and we are chatting about those things that a general counsel must consider, and what we must consider as mediators uh, when dealing with general counsel. Most attorneys need professional liability coverage, but very few are professional liability experts. And there's so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance. How do you know how much coverage you need? What should your policy limits be? What if you've had a past claim? You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. And with lawyer-specific insurance brokerage on your side, you won't have to. They're professional liability experts. Shop California's leading professional liability carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the right price. Lawyer-specific founders Alan Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest-rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California and find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to lawyerspecific.com and click Request a Quote. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and my guest is Mark Lahaki. Uh, when we when we broke, uh, Mark was talking about the different constituencies that general counsel might have in the hermetically sealed room. And um, what I'd like to talk about now or have Mark talk about now is how that impacts the mediation process, both for mediators and for the participants? So um, great question. So one of my takeaways from that work, and by the way, reinforced by studying phenomenal research done by several people. One is a Berkeley Law grad, uh, Randy Kaiser, who's done amazing work on behavioral handic uh, handicapping process by lawyers. Another person is Professor Donna Shostowski, UC Davis, who has done this, uh, her own work on how clients perceive things. And, and more similarities than differences in that we all have this tendency to put on so-called rose-colored glasses. 
And that happens in the corporate decision-making environment too, when people get together, especially thinking about a problem or a crisis event. And, and what I mean the similar behavior is, it's easy to get on the bandwagon of we're right and they're wrong and how how dare they especially if you're being you're on the receiving end of a dispute and to some extent the contrary information is shouted down and not that gross by any means but i'll give you one example it wasn't a traditional lawsuit it had to do with the fact that we dryers were in the process of putting together a merger transaction with nestle and they had their, as we, this was a deal that was big enough, it had to go through antitrust review, it was appropriately. And we analyzed the antitrust issues, Nestle did. We had pros from Dover on our side, so did Nestle. I, by coincidence, happened to be a former antitrust lawyer. The very issues that we were talking about, market power, market definition, or things I had litigated myself. And everybody in all the rooms talking about this in advance said we have no issues whatsoever this is there's no antitrust issue here except for one youngish partner at one of our outside firms uh, who said well notwithstanding the fact that we all agree with each other the federal trade commission can decide to do something else and we didn't quite shout him down but it was close to that mm. Uh, but the but the upshot of that is, notwithstanding our discussions, we all of a sudden heard that the Federal Trade Commission was challenging our transaction on antitrust grounds, and that led to some animated conversations among our group and brilliant, wonderful people um, all around, going, "How in the world does this happen?" Those types of events kind of strike me as is to think about how did we get here and what's prompting that. So when, to take it to the next step, Len, I think you're, so what do you do with that kind of information? What do you do with that kind of input? I think it's fundamental, whether you're working with an internal legal team, a general counsel, other people in the senior legal team, is to help them understand the nuance of the disputes so they don't get what, what is sometimes a black and white picture. Um, because we've seen it, I bet you've seen it, when people come into the mediation and one side will say, I don't even know why I'm here. This is a blank, blank case. There's right. no merits to it. And you know, and I know, after we look at it, well, it's it's got more gray than black and white attached to it. And when I have those encounters, one of the things my antenna always goes up about is, what was the quality of the conversation preceding the day that they came in to talk to us? Um, not just obviously what's in the mediation briefs and there's a lot of practical takeaways from having you know having that sensitivity about how how easy it is to again everybody agree with themselves everybody agree we're right they're wrong what can you practically do to manage that up front not just in the, at the day of the mediation you're, you're, you're talking about in the con in the context of how to how to manage it up front as a mediator well, and actually, I'm going another a step earlier, which is what do lawyers do to, you know, if, when you think about the proclivity we all have to, again, maybe jump to conclusions, maybe disregard the information. How do we help that from taking you to a, again, too black and white a place, right? Help your client best understand there's, there's good, there's maybe some bad, and there's a lot of ambiguity in between. So they are best prepared, meaning you as the outside lawyer, 
they as the in-house people at Lucent's House Lawyers. So you're going in with your expectations at a more reasonable level than they might otherwise be if fresh air had not entered the room. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, when when you're dealing with a, a situation in which the fresh air has not entered the room, uh, we have, d- d- does that parallel or does that seem to, to go along with the idea that the parties haven't exchanged information prior to the mediation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, during my, my own general counsel days, I tried to get my hands and around every matter, but I couldn't. But I, so I had a lot of wonderful people outside council and staff council who were running with the balls. They should be. And but one of the things I thought was very, very important to this very point, And I, I my expectation was we, we have a three conversation rule before we go to any mediation, meaning you you, whether you're the staff council or the outside council, have to have not one, but two, not two, but three conversations with the people on the other side. Why three? First time you pick up the phone and you call the other side, they're going to be very surprised where you're calling. There may be an adverse reaction or you're trying to pick my pocket or something. So it sometimes takes two or three conversations to have a meaningful conversation. What do you see differently than what we do? But in the process of doing that, you always learn things. Um, they learn things. And, and, in, and as importantly, whether you're reporting up to a you know, senior legal team, a general counsel, the executive team, or I'm in the GC's chair and I'm talking to my executives, I can best inform them of what the other side sees or says and hopefully you know, the relative value of that. So again, the rose-colored glasses are set aside and you can have a meaningful conversation, not that everyone's going to immediately agree, but you can have a meaningful conversation where it, as much as possible, everything's on the table. And that, and that requires also a recognition that when you are going into a mediation process, there is a very big difference between mediation advocacy and trial advocacy in terms of your audience. Uh, who are you trying to convince? You're not trying to convince a jury. You're trying to convince the other side to move incrementally toward your point of view. But that also requires, if I'm hearing you correctly, it also requires understanding what their point of view is. What is their starting point? Well, and to that point, uh, and I'd be happy to, if you want to spend a minute or two on it, um, I developed a course a few years ago and taught it for a few years at UC Davis, specifically on the topic of mediation advocacy. And to your point, Lynn, exactly what's different about arguing in front of a judge or a jury versus arguing or advocating to get a deal done in mediation context. But we're going to take a, another break, and I'm chatting with Mark Lahaki about the mediation process and the involvement of general counsel. Uh, This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, and we will be back soon. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder, Lucy Barron, for supporting this podcast. 
ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and my guest is Mark Lahaki. Uh, Mark, when we broke, we were talking about uh, the, the the involvement of general counsel. And one of the things that we hit on was the essentially the constituency that uh, general counsel has. Now, when you are uh, when when an attorney is representing representing a client and on the other side, there is general counsel. Uh, what does the attorney? What should the attorney keep in mind when uh, dealing with that situation in terms of the constituency that the general counsel has to uh, has to play to? Well, if you if you're the outside attorney working with an inside legal team, and this, by the way, is an exclusive to working with the general counsel. There's many many companies, very large internal legal teams and senior in-house legal people that have made has major responsibility. But but the I think the consistent point as to all of those folks is the the information that's provided to them. You have to do it with the you have to do that with the mindset that a lot of them I use the terms plate spinners. Remember the plate spinners from you know, used to be like almost like a carnival act. See how many plates you keep spinning at once. Right. Sometimes your day feels like you are split, you are spinning plates in any of those roles. And so it's it's that much more important that the information you get be is be succinct, but it also has to be balanced. And sometimes succinct is it turns into again black and white. There's no case here. You know, that's the end of the story. So it's it's incumbent upon outside counsel. It's also coming on juniors, in-house lawyers reporting up through the food chain or through other people in the organization to be succinct, but to make sure that there's balance to the presentation. Oh, by the way, if you're in a GC type position, part of your job is to go out and, and report up to the board of directors. You don't have hours to brief them on issues. You have to be succinct in how you do that. In fact, I mentioned, you mentioned earlier the class that I co-teach with a sitting general counsel, um, Seth Jaffe at Levi Strauss. Our, our class is designed to simulate a lot of the real life world of a general counsel. And part of that exercise we make them go through is they have to do a lot of projects with very tight time constraints, not just to be succinct, but to go through the exercise of hitting the critical points and figuring out what are the less critical points so you're as efficient in the process, but also balanced in the process. And that's what I think the lawyers need to do, outside lawyers working with the inside audience to help this the inside legal team get their constituents to the right place in analyzing a matter in advance. What, what, can, what can outside counsel do to understand, to try to understand what the makeup of that 
there's there are different constituencies in different companies, right? Absolutely. So so there there may be a need to persuade not just the board of directors, but there may also be uh, a, a CEO who is uh, just without a him, nothing gets done. Uh, how how do you go about prior to the mediation or even during the mediation trying to understand who you are playing to when you're trying to persuade? It's it's a great question. So I, I'll give you the, the one size does not fit all kind of response. But but very important to do as much homework as you can is to if you're the outside counsel, who is that senior person inside, whether it's a GC or somebody who's not a senior, I mean, a senior, but not a GC, find out whatever you can about them. A lot of us in the GC world, I did, was on the speaking circuit, because I do have a, a point of view about litigation management and doing it efficiently, um, based upon a lot of this that we're talking about. So you can actually, you know, just like we can Google everybody, uh, find out what you can you may also find out things about the management of the company and the CEO. Uh, we've all read stories. Uh, they're, they're always coming out about strong-willed CEOs having a point of view about certain things. It's it's another point of reference. And and as importantly, just ask very you know open-ended questions of your audience. One of my favorites is, "How big is this? Uh, is it really big?" Is it small? Is it something that we're, you know, that has long lasting value, meaning are we fighting over something that might be a product that's obsolete before the dispute is done? How much money is in stake? Um, I know those sound like obvious questions shouldn't have to ask, but I've inherited multiple disputes when I stepped in my different GC roles and I started looking at various disputes. It was very important to say, do we understand how big this is in relationship to what the time diversion of time and energy will be. And getting to the bottom of that helps you frame the path, helps you educate your client um, and the GC if they're involved, have them in turn get their constituents on board about the approach. Well, and that, by the way, that all should happen before the mediation, Len. That's, that's, if it's happening at the mediation, it's pretty darn hard because typically the the goalposts have been set in a prior meeting well before the mediation. And what you want to do is you as the outside counsel want to help them set those goalposts in the right place before the mediation starts. It, 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 at that point, it's like trying to turn the Titanic without, with, without actually having a wheel uh, to do so. Uh, and and so uh, it, it becomes almost impossible. Um, and what your your answer also uh, brings to mind, you know, when we're dealing with individuals, and we are always dealing with individuals, there are what we refer to in the mediation community as below the line issues. You know, those issues that may be driving a dispute or a point of view on some particular subject that are not apparent. Uh, you know, you you think you have a fight over uh, over over not delivering a product, but you know the fight is really over something else. Um, how do you go about as a mediator trying to draw out what those below the line issues might be in a corporate 
uh, setting. I, I'm gonna. I, I, I'm going to. We're going to take a break now because I want to. I want you to give a little bit, little bit of thought to that uh, when we when we get back. And uh, this is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips.io. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States, with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, NADN.org is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today. With over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.NADN.org today. Welcome back, everyone. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and we're talking with Mark Lahaki, who is one of the top mediators in uh, in the business, and uh, I can say that without without hesitation. And uh, Mark is giving us his insight on on uh, matters of, from his experience as general counsel. When we broke, we were just about to get into uh, the idea of how you discover the below the line issues. What's really driving the mediation uh, when you're dealing with uh, a, a corporate environment that the general counsel has to deal with. Great. Again, great question, Len. So, so there's a couple things we can do, and I'm sure you do, is we can we can engage with counsel before the mediation, the, you know, the pre-calls. And most of the time, they're just with you as the mediator and, and one, maybe two attorneys on one side. And, and those tend to allow for more candid conversations. I, I've also, though, invited if people want to have the in-house people on that call, sure, I want to, I'd love to have them engage. But sometimes that's a place where things percolate up that people don't want to put into their brief, but provide important context. Um, I also highly recommend all the time that the parties share their briefs. Um, for exactly this reason, to allow the other side, not just the lawyers, but the clients to see your best position or your best take on your position so they can factor it into their decision making. That's hugely valuable. Um, and uh, But in addition to that, you, you know, I always invite people, if there's something you want me to hear in advance, um, you can send me a side letter that's just for my eyes open. I, my eyes only again an opportunity to get some additional context because understanding how you got there sometimes is an essential step to figuring out how you get from here to where you need to be. I'm sure you've had that same experience. Right. Well, you know, w one of the things too that that we we have to realize as mediators is that 
there is not a one size fits all general counsel. There's not a one size fits all adjust insurance adjuster. Um, what are some of the major differences that people should keep in mind when they are uh, when they are having to persuade general counsel? Uh, what are some of the differences or similarities between general counsel? Well, again, going back to uh, when I started uh, in 2000 as a GC, I was kind of an anomaly because I was a former litigator, went straight to the GC chair. Um, since that time, there are more people with litigation backgrounds in the GC chair, and I'm not making it a commercial for that's the right way to do it, but we all bring different things to the table. When you have, if you have a litigation background or the senior people in-house do, they often are have have a, a broader perspective of, of the dispute, how it fits into the bigger picture. And that means that means, among other things, what is the litigation going to do in terms of diverting time and resources, not just money, time and resources. And um, sometimes that depending upon the background of your audience, again, maybe it's a GC, maybe it's other people. They may not have uh, a litigation background and may not be contemplating all the arms and legs that this dispute will have if it's not otherwise resolved. And so one of the things I think it's always valuable to understand is, again, who is that person? What background do they have? So you can help them explain to their constituents what this is going to mean. And again, the dollars you spend on good outside counsel, experts, all of that is the smallest part of it. It's the diversion of time and energy. And so if they don't have that background, you're not sure what I always did as a litigator and highly recommend is go out of your way to say, let's make sure we understand what it's going to mean to the mean to fully litigate this dispute. It may be big enough that there's no choice. We have to do it. There may be other situations where people go, there's better things to do with our valuable people and our time and things. Let's see if we can get this thing wrapped up. So so very much a, a parallel to those types of things that individuals have to consider. I mean, it, it may be more emotional energy or it may be disruption of their lives, but there is a corporate disruption of life uh, when you have people who are productive in other areas who have to deal with things like taking time out to have their depositions taken, uh, things of that nature, the effect on production, the effect on corporate uh, uh, morale, it, it could it could could be affected. Is, is that correct? Absolutely. I'll give you a quick example. I had a wonderful um, executive at my, at my ice cream company who, if you had not met, you did not know his background, you met him, you would be convinced he's ex-military. He has the demeanor. He ran his group that way. Wonderful man, but very, 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 very organized and somewhat hierarchical. And we'd have these internal conversations sometimes when our executive team, do we battle? How much do we battle? How big is this? And I would turn to him and say, so what do you think? And I asked him specifically because he had gone through a personal piece of litigation that lasted five years. He invested, I think, a half a million dollars to fund it. 
he eventually won everything he could win. But I purposely turned to him to say, so what do you think? Should we fight this battle? And he would answer with a three-word term. No would be the first word. Way would be the last word. And there's a blank in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, and again, it was a tribute to him that he had gone through that and won and said, there are better things to do with time, energy, and money. Right. You know, it, very often I, I will uh, use the phrase and uh, uh, that people who think that that litigation is a fun recreational activity have not participated in it. So uh, that that's uh, it, it, it's it is a cost and there is a corporate cost. Uh, and and how do you as a mediator impart to uh, someone who perhaps is not really considering that? Uh, how do you impart that to them effectively? Well, especially when we're having this conversation about how much time, energy, I always say, please sit down. We, as you know, Lynn, we bounce back and forth. They have breaks when you're talking to the other group and site. I said, well, I'm gone. Sit down and identify all the people that are going to be impacted by this, not just the people that are the post. People have to go pull out documents and be interviewed and all that stuff and start counting those hours. Start counting the hours of people that are going to be talking about this, this dispute, its implications. What do we do by way of our business in the meantime? Count all those hours and then start thinking about the value of that time. I've yet to work with a company, and I've worked a lot. Um, where there were people sitting around with nothing to do. They're, everybody's busy, everybody's stretched. It's not going the other way, it's getting busier. So talking to people about the total cost, direct and indirect cost, really helps them evaluate disputes and understand the value of resolving it sooner rather than later. And, and uh, one of the things that, uh, that I was involved in uh, is mass tort cases involving corporations. Um, those uh, very often uh, settled uh, in, in part because of the cost of reputation that uh, can, can result from a product being uh, out there uh, and, and disparaged through, the, through litigation. So, um, Mark, we are, we're out of time. And uh, I, I've got to tell you how much I have enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I, I, I'm glad we have gotten to know each other through the, this whole process. And um, I look forward to having you back as a guest uh, sometime in the future. And, and uh, as we wrap up, um, Mark, how can people best uh, get a hold of you if they want to utilize your services as a neutral? Well, thank you. I, I was enjoyed to participate. And I love the conversation. Um, to reach me, you can go right online to marklahockey.com or you can reach out to ADR Services. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to participate today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and thank Daryl. Thank you, Daryl Wayne, our engineer. Uh, I am Len Levy, and this is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io powered by Infogen Labs, Inc. And uh, until we meet again, stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved.
If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at adrservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com, telephone him at 818-903-5562, or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.